This recording was brought to you by Media One Audio Visual. To learn more about us, visit us online at MediaOneAudio.com. Today we're going to talk about strategic partnerships. We'll do a quick introduction of everybody. Um, I'll go first, I guess. Um, I work at the Bowery Presents. I'm the head of strategic partnerships, so that makes sense why I'm here. And uh, we'll move it on down the line. My name is Steve Rennie, and uh, I'm currently the manager of Incubus, and I've been involved in the music business for 33 years as a concert promoter, a record exec, uh, worked uh, with an internet startup, and have been managing Incubus for the last 12 years. Hi, I'm Jason Feinberg. I run digital strategy and development as well as direct-to-consumer for Concord Music Group. Uh, We're one of the world's largest independent labels. We specialize in... Uh, classic rock, R&B, jazz, a lot of uh, adult-leaning genres. Uh, Bruce Floor, work at Red Light Management, also a partner in ATO Records, and uh, also a partner in Greenlight Marketing and Media, which creates uh, branded, integrated content for brands and helps them with their music strategies. I'm Dave Allen, um, probably best known for being the bass player for Gang of Four. I had a long music career. Um, but I've also had a very long, 17 years now, uh, web strategy career. So I, I do digital strategy uh, for uh, uh, my own agency in, no- uh, in Portland, sorry, uh, called North. And um, I also teach digital strategy at the University of Oregon in Eugene. And um, I worry about all things web, basically. Great. So uh, we had a little time to powwow before we came up here. And one of the things we wanted to first discuss was the state of strategic partnerships as we see them right now. Ten years ago, strategic partnerships were completely taboo to a lot of the artists and and companies that we work with and for. And um, we just wanted to get an overview maybe, you know, from some of your experience in terms of what do you see now that's working um, in the digital space specifically in terms of music and tech and partnerships? I'm going to start with Dave. <laughs> oh, uh, nothing. <laughs> no, <laughs> moving on. Um, actually, I'm not going to, yeah, I, I have some things to say. I think as we go along, I want to see how this panel goes. Just out of interest, uh, how many people in the room are musicians? Okay. Uh, record labels? And music technologists? Oh, hi. Um, yeah, I think that um, there's a lot of things that work, uh, clearly, you know, um, there's all sorts of relationships that work, um, we've seen great partnerships, um, I don't want to get into all of the ones that uh, I'll try and remember because I'll forget some of the best ones, but I think um, something we were talking about in the green room is quite interesting is, um, what I wonder what's going on sometimes, because um, all day today, I was explaining to these guys, I went out this morning to go take meetings with big companies that had nothing to do with music. And then when I came back and I was listening in on panels and hearing people talk, there was a missing piece all day. Uh, People didn't talk about musicians, and they didn't seem to be talking about music fans. What they were talking about was new technology or new ideas in technology that may well work, and often they may well don't work. And I think what's happened is we are in a major bubble. When, we're, when we come to these events and we, we think through things like this and we talk on panels, we end up with, well, we're mainly tech and we've got some musician, uh, musicians in the group and therefore we're going to find all the answers. Well, unfortunately, we tend not to find those answers. So I think rather than dig into what is working right now, we should sort of just 
ex, you know, exchange our experiences. And I'm only saying this now because I, I've sort of removed myself from the music world, but I'm still really interested in how strategy can be applied uh, in many ways, especially as I now am involved in a brand advertising company. And uh, some of these guys have more hands-on experience with the actual content, which we've, we've all agreed is the main piece of the puzzle is the content. Yeah, Bruce, maybe you could speak to that. Yeah, um, uh, I was a huge fan, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Why didn't you buy my records? Well, <laughs> I stole it. I you downloaded them. You got them for free, them. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I bought the T-shirt. Good. That's all that matters. Uh, so my company, I kind of sit in a unique place where I'm in the middle of um, the content um, management, content owner, right? Managing the artists and all their rights, uh, record label, um, Greenlight, which works with brands. So I kind of see um, a 360 degrees, if you will. And one of my uh, major reasons for starting Greenlight was as a band manager, I started to have more and more conversations with brands on how to use my our artist. And I wanted to get away from rent the artist model where let me use your song for a commercial and much more into let's build a relationship together so that the brand can be um, draft off the band's success and vice versa. Um, and one thing that I'm noticing is, especially as I spend more and more time up here uh, in San Francisco with, in the tech world, which is incredibly exciting, um, and as far as I'm concerned, more optimistic than ever before. Uh, we, many of you who are building pro, um, platforms and t t tech, p tech pieces um, need content to make your widgets or whatever you call them work. You're also reliant on brands to advertise on your models in order to fund those widgets. If all of us don't deliver on those promises, we are all going to be screwed because brands at some point will go, this is all hogwash, they're not delivering what they said, we're gonna take our ball and go home. So I think it's imperative and one of the things that we could discuss or at least think about is we need to make sure we're you know, under promising and over delivering. Great, Jason, did you wanna to add to that? Or? Sure, so as far as what's working and what isn't, I tend to lump uh, partnerships at this point into two buckets. Uh, things that we are doing to keep afloat. So basically replacing what we're losing by figuring out new ways to essentially do the same thing or supplement the same revenue streams. And then the second bucket, which interests me significantly greater, and that's about how do we partner to expand the, the business or reinvent the business entirely. Uh, there's a couple ways that we focus on that. And these are the things that I think Depends how you define working, but uh, to me are working in the sense of giving us opportunity, sometimes generating revenue, occasionally generating profit even, uh, but that, that's not really the goal. The goal is simply figuring out not new ways of doing old things, but new ways of doing new things. And so the partnerships that interest me and the things that we're evaluating and that we tend to find work the best are things that really do one of two things, either help innovate, you know, figuring out if we have two or three or however many companies that uh, by leveraging each of their strengths suddenly bring something to the table that none of those companies was able to do in the past or currently. Uh, and we often find that those types of endeavors then uh, inspire other companies or other partners to build on top of it. And that's really relevant to this group. You know, I mean, the, 
you know, being at Music Hack Day yesterday, seeing how people are leveraging APIs and stringing two, three, four APIs together to create something wildly different than any of those uh, companies may have imagined use. I mean, that to me is, is the exciting part of innovation. The second side of what is working is uh, exploiting market overlap. So looking at, if you're a record company, finding partners that can bring your content to their audiences in a different way than you can. And that would either be reaching an audience you simply can't reach, you just don't have the channels or the money, or better yet, leveraging that brand or, or that partner to uh, authentically give more value to their customers. And th those are the things that we're tending to focus on. That's great. I think that brings up a great point that we also discussed um, earlier, which was about leveraging audiences on behalf of each end of the partnership. And one of the things that came up in our discussion in the green room was about data and about who controls that data um, and what benefits does the partnership bring to bear on both sides um, as we begin to share that data with each other. I'm wondering, you know, um, Steve, you might want to talk about the way that the audience for artists that you represent has maybe changed over the tenure of your career and how, you know, were, were people freely giving you that data 10 years ago? Do you have to fight for it now? What does it mean to a band um, to really know who their audience is from a technological standpoint? Well, forgetting whether it's technology, knowing your audience, whether you're selling pizza, whether you're, you know, a clothing store, airline or whatever, knowing your audience, knowing your customer and what they, they want is, is important, okay? And the internet is giving you some great tools to find out that information. To the, uh, to the question of who's sharing that with you, um, I'd say 10 years ago, even if people were of the mind, 15 years ago when Incubus started, if, even if people were of the mind to share it with you, there wasn't much to share. Um, now there is a lot more information to share. And so when I look at all of these things, I take a step back and before I think about all the, 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 the kind of small stuff, I try to sit there and just try to figure out what it is we're looking for at, at the top level, right? So um, you know, I'll echo Bruce's comments. No matter whether it's tech or whatever, all of this starts with great music. If you're going to be a professional musician, you got to you want to have to make great music. Um, the artists that have careers have an ability to take that great music and bring it to life through performance. Um, in today's world, you know, you used to be able to get away with it. You could be an asshole if you made great music and did great performance. It didn't matter if you were a jerk. It didn't matter if you had any connection to your fan. In today's world where people can take the crown jewel of the music and put it in their pocket for free, it puts a huge onus on artists to now have a real personal connection. And I'll give you a graphic example of that. This past couple of weeks ago, uh, Incubus got a new record. I think it's the most best record they've made. They worked a long time on it, and, and it was put out on the internet. And people uh, were taking and, and having a go at it. And at first, it kind of freaked everybody out. Um, but what happened was is that the fans that have a bona fide connection to this band, that have met them at backstage shows for the bad part of 15 years, that have chatted with them, that have experienced them on a personal level, realize that these are real guys. So we had people, fans out there policing this whole um, this whole leak, and that was something that wouldn't have happened in the past. You know, we were kidding about how Lars from Metallica, his first instinct back at the very early days was to tell everybody you're a thief, didn't make him any friends, didn't stop what was going on. So, um, so for us, it's about that top level, what it is we're looking for, and for me, if a band makes great music, they make great performance, a manager's job is to make sure that people 
see it and hear it. And, and that can take the form of a partnership of money, which you could put in your pocket. They might be helping you with infrastructure, you know, streaming and the various tools that a lot of you web developers have come up with. It might be tools and exposure through some of the big websites that have a lot of traffic that can, that can spotlight the great things you're doing. So um, the data is at the back end of all of that, if you ask me. So if you're a smart manager and you know what you want, You've got some artists that are producing something that people want. Then when you go to a partnership, you can say, by the way, in addition to the money, the infrastructure, and the exposure, I want to know as much as you know about the customers at the end of this, because they weren't really signing up for Coca-Cola or Budweiser. They were signing up for Dave Matthew Bands or Incubus. Yep. I know, Bruce, you were saying that you, you had to actively go seek out that data with artists that you've worked with in the past instead of it being freely yeah. shared with you. Can you yeah, and I think, it's I think it's important, and I only state this because so many of you raised your hand when, uh, when they asked if you, who's in tech. I think it's really important that um, going forward, whether you're a brand or... Uh, a tech person if you're in this music business you're going to have to have relationships with the artist because that's ultimately what's driving all of this right if the artist decides they no longer want their content out on bump or foursquare or fill in the blank tech company then we don't really have a business and what's really important is as i learn your space more and more i realize that the relationships that are that work the best are the ones where you try something, right? Because nobody knows what the answer is, so we have to get a little bit of a Wild West mentality and give it a shot. But where I come back doing business with, whether that's Greenlight with a media buy, or whether it's as a manager giving you Gomez to do something for an in-studio session, are from the companies that give me rap reports, for companies that tell me what happened on the last thing I did with you. What did we do? What did we accomplish? What did you learn? What should I learn? Help me, educate me. Remember, I'm in the music business. I'm an idiot, right? You, you, the future is here. So I need to be, the artist community needs to be educated as to all that data that's at your fingertips. What do we do with it? And, and help me navigate that space. And I will come back and do business with you over and over again. But for you guys to just do a program and then go off in the ether, it, it's not going to grow any of our businesses. Yeah, I think, um, so, you know, as a sort of digital tech guy on the panel here, I mean, what I'm hearing is, um, and I'm kind of talking to tech people now, is like I'm really getting a little tired of hearing about the same old stuff all the time about how you want to use this great content. And I, I think there's two sides to this. There's, um, I've been reading, um, I, re I really recommend this book actually, the reason I brought it, I promised the author I would mention it today, Disrupt by um, Luke Williams from Frog Design. So any of you technologists in the room know Frog? Good, there should be an awful lot more of you because they are an amazing company and actually somebody you guys should be talking to because they do things very differently. <laughs> and what I've been noticing um, over the last few weeks as I was preparing for this panel, there's a, there's a, I found a great quote via Luke actually and I want to kind of point it a little bit at the music tech industry in the room because uh, I'm getting a little frustrated. And, and I think as, as Bruce and, and, and Steve, even Jason here, and the other Jason might attest to, it's like it's all about what we're going to do together and how we're going to get there. And then we all win together and we have huge success. And then data, metrics, measurement will all flow 
and we'll know how to pass it because we will see results. And for the bands, they'll see success. For the brands, they'll see success. But in the meantime, what are you guys doing? I've got to challenge you slightly, and I'm quite happy to have you throw things at me. But let me, let me, let me run this by you. What I'm seeing in the music tech industry at the moment is a surplus of similar companies employing similar people with similar educational backgrounds, coming up with similar ideas, producing similar things at similar prices and at a similar quality. Now, I didn't write that. That comes from a book called Funky Business by Jonas Riddenstrahl. And it was written in 1998, I believe. It's just about business cliches, right? And I was thinking about it in terms of the music industry and all the business cliches I could list and I couldn't stop writing them. It was so huge. <laughs> so I did stop writing them and uh, went back to think about what are we doing in tech? And really what I want to come down to always at the end of the day when we talk about data here is what is the strategy? So these guys are actually getting their acts together to look at using tech in a strategic way and not in a, ta a tactical way. And there's a huge difference between I'm on Facebook, tactic, I want to sell more music and this is how I'm going to go about it, strategy. And these guys are getting it. I think it's time for the music tech industry now to get outside the bubble. Uh, I'd love for you to, anybody who um, runs a company and wants to come talk to my students up in Oregon, they'll blow your minds. They don't want your products. They're building their own. Thank you very much. And that's why there's a problem out here. You know, Too many people want to bring Spotify to the US. I don't know what that will do for anybody. It'll just be, we've got Spotify in the US. Awesome, awesome. But no, not really. I want to turn this thing upside down. So here's a radical proposition. And it may help you guys think about music and tech. What would a world look like without record labels? That's my radical proposition. You don't have to agree with it, but start thinking of it as a hypothesis and then start talking to guys like this on the panel who are really getting it. And I think we're seeing a turnaround now where I was worried that labels weren't getting it, but if specific music business people really get it, then you guys have to play catch up now. You've been leading for a while, but it's time to catch up. Thank you. Well, if a world without labels, uh, first of all, uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's yeah. not withstand no, no, He's right. I would need a new job. It That's needs to be saying. noted, though. He is working off a teleprompter, and I did not know we were allowed to have that. Because <laughs> I'd be quoting all fucking day long about it. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I, I actually, I've done this before, okay? Let's, I, I think a world without labels... You know, I mean, you know, may may there's benefit to that. I think it depends on what the the function is. It doesn't really matter if it's label manager or friend. I mean, it, it, there's there's service to be done, and that's that's the, the underlying theme here. Writing on the data concept for one point, something that I try to convey when I'm talking to potential partners at all sizes is that traditionally there were two things a partner could deliver: eyeballs and money. And I love both of those things, one certainly much more than the other these days. Uh, but the thing to consider from your perspective is there's significantly more that you can deliver now. Uh, you know, data being a critical part of that, metrics, uh, analysis. This is something that we don't get nearly as often as we'd like. And you know, the, the panelists have touched on this, that many companies, big and small, certainly big, but many small ones as well, have so much information about what users are doing, what they like, what they don't like, the sentiment, their activity, their locations. Now, privacy concerns aside, there is 
a significant value that can be delivered if I'm not as interested in eyeballs anymore because eyeballs are easy. There are so many avenues. Now, critical mass where eyeballs equals action or we can derive some actionable intelligence from those eyeballs, that is extremely valuable, sometimes more than the amount of money we may generate from that one specific service. So for any of the tech companies out there that are interested in, in partnering with labels or managers or bands or brands or anything, and you know, you, you can't guarantee certain levels of revenue and awareness maybe isn't enough to really pique their interest, think about what other value you provide, what the data that you possess and a little bit of, of, of thought that you could put into it, what analysis of that, actionable intelligence you could deliver, and often that could push the deal, you know, push it through. If I were a technology guy pitching a manager, I would sit there and ask him, what are you looking for, okay? That's a good start to a conversation. So if you ask me, um, what, what are you looking to get out there? I'd say, well, I want the band's music to be exposed, uh, but since, you know, fans are hardly paying for it and that becomes a diminishing source of income we're interested in selling tickets so how can these things help me you know uh, i'm a horrible guy to pitch on uh, uh, with tech companies because i tell everybody if you're going to show me a powerpoint i'm not interested you haven't done your homework ask me the million dollar question i can help you sell more tickets and i've done it with six of your cronies just go and call them right that beats the hell out of any powerpoint you could get to me and it reminds me of when i was back in college i was on the debate team and my old coach used to have this whole thing about how you properly give you know, a speech and tell everybody. But the punchline to it always was, make your speech, make your comment, be, make your pitch, but give the impact. What's the impact, you used to say? Oh, what's the impact of that? Give me, why should I give a shit, right? And so when you're sitting there designing these things, those are the things that a manager is interested in. They want to make sure that they get exposure, of course, their jobs to get money. Um, but as Bruce and I were talking, you can go out and get sponsorships here to, all day long. I'll bet you Dave Matthews can take it out in one, how long does he play, two and a half hours? Two and a half hours, I'll bet you he can beat almost any sponsorship deal that he'd be offered, right? Yeah, easily. Okay, so it's more about exposure, and it's more about breadth, and it's about telling your story to as many people as possible, and I'll add something to it. Telling the story in a way that works for your artist, not that works for Coca-Cola or MTV. Hey, we want to put you on MTV, and we want you to serenade Snooky. Not, not what I had in mind, you know what I mean? If she wants to come to a concert and pay 60 bucks, we'll, we'll serenade Snooky, you know? Uh, so it's, it's give the impact to your trick because, you know, guys like me, I, don't, I love technology, but I'm not married to it. The guys want to explain how it works. I go, actually, I don't really care how it works. I want to know what's the impact. Can I sell tickets with this? And I met with somebody today who might be out here who we had that conversation. He said, I can sell you 20% more tickets. I put my pen down and said, okay, let's talk about it. Yeah, I think, and Jason, you mentioned about what your business does, you know, old school where you guys find a band, you believe in the band, and you start giving that band opportunities to grow, right? Absolutely. And I think that same opportunity exists in, in this kind of environment where it, there's nothing better as a manager to get a phone call from some new company that says, hi, it's Joe, and I love your band, Alberta Cross, right? Or Gomez or fill in the blank, and I want to do something. That's a conversation that I'm willing to have all day long because I'm normally pushing a ball up a hill, right? And it's so much to have somebody come in and want to get dirty with me and help me do something, bring it on. The, the thing that's going to be difficult, and, and I, it's still, it's unbelievable to me, although I appreciate it, the lack of music industry executives that are at these things boggles my mind. Mm. 
but yet I am very glad because it would just get slow and mundane and you guys would end up at the bar wasted. It's just, it's bad news. <laughs> That's a great point, Bruce, just in terms of where strategic partnerships have kind of filled the void in the music industry is specific, specifically from my point of view at The Buyer Presents might be in that artist development category. Those dollars that have completely vanished really from the industry have reappeared as dollars that are coming out of new revenue streams specifically from the type of partnerships that we're discussing. The question I would have for Dave and even for you guys um, as managers would be, are you seeing a difference between your emergent artists, obviously, and your more iconic artists, more established artists, in terms of the opportunities, not only that they're being presented, I mean, that goes without saying that the dollars are different, but is there a real way to break a band, that's, that's the mystery, yeah, yeah. Um, through a strategic partnership. Um, I'm not going to really talk to that so much. I, 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 it just popped in my head again about that Arcade Fire experience, you know, um, as we have the technologists in the group. So everyone knows about Arcade Fire and the wilderness downtown, right? Mm -hmm. None of my students knew anything about it. So I was shocked because it was in a, in a lecture I was giving them. And so I had to, the following week when I was back in class, I had to revamp the whole lecture and, and go deeper into, you know it was about selling Google Chrome, right? Now, no. Now, but I am teaching digital strategy to students in journalism, advertising, and communications. And I said, well, why don't you know about you know, Arcade Fire? Oh, no, don't get us wrong. We love Arcade Fire, but what are you talking about? So I had to show them in class what it was. And what it was was an ad for Google, right? So ultimately, please download the Google Chrome browser because it'll only work in Google Chrome. And so I think it was good for Arcade Fire on one level, but if it doesn't get beyond technologists and all my technology friends who are dumb because they call me up and go, did you see that new Arcade Fire video? I got tired of calling people and saying, it's not a video, guys. It's not a video. Um, if you want a music video of that caliber, I hope you have about $5 million and we'll get it done for you and we'll call Google Labs today. Give me the money, give me the money. So we, again, I'm going back to, we gotta get outside this bubble because some of this technology that's been delivered is awesome, but if it's not reaching young people and helping sell more content and breaking bands, then we are continuing to go around in circles. And I think what we're trying to say up here today, we're all in agreement, and I uh, honestly didn't think we would be, so I'm very <laughs> pleased, um, that um, we're in agreement that something has to shift here, right? How many more years or twice a year I come to San Fran Music Tech? How many more years can we discuss this, right? It's like a challenge. We've got to come back next time with, we've got, here's the problem, we're gonna solve it. I don't think people are asking the right questions around, around the problem and, and what the solution is. It just seems to be like, I want to try and license more music for my new amazing streaming service. Uh, or I'm gonna build an app to go with my new amazing streaming service, even though my kids at college are building their own apps and giving them away to their friends. It's like, we got to look at who the audience is at the end of the days, and guess what? All these guys stare music fans in the face every day and they deal with bands who stare music fans in the face every day. When I played, my band got to back, back together, we never played in Japan before, 40,000 people. Beck opened for us, we headlined the, the Mount Fuji Festival. It's unbelievable when you have 
kids who were never born singing all our songs out loud in between uh, when we stopped playing. It's like, that's social media, guys, and that's reaching people. So we need technology that reaches people in a different way now. Not tactical technology, strategic technology that helps these content owners really get it done. I'll speak to that there because a great thing happened, you know, for us. And it was a technology company that I had no particular, you know, affinity one way or one way or another. We're doing a couple incubus video chats, and so we wanted to include fans from around the world, you know. So we were first skyping him in there, and you can imagine I'm 55 years old, I'm trying to do all this shit myself, and it's going crazy. So for the first two chats, to say they were a little sketchy. What was an understatement. They were definitely DIY and very personal, but not, not professional. So I get an email from some kid on this Incubus HQ site that goes, uh, Sir, and I'm wondering where that magic age where you turn into Sir. You know what I mean? As opposed to, oh, Red. So anyway, he goes, Sir, um, I, I don't want to, you know, the thing was great today, man. Uh, but, you, you know, it seemed a little confusing, you know, and, you know, you should be, find a way to screen these users. So they've, they turned me onto this site called Vocal.com. I don't know if anybody's here. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. But it was a, a, a way where we could bring customers in, have the band guys' heads up there and so forth, but it allowed us to screen text questions so I didn't have to try to read this scrolling thing going up and down while I'm talking. It allowed us to make sure that everybody had the video on and that there was light and that it was working so that every call that came in <clears throat> was great and it was smooth. So it answered a need, which is we want the band wants to communicate with their audience, great, nothing new there. Uh, we want to do it in a way that, that, that's good for both the people on the artist side so they don't look like a clown, you know, um, and, and to work for the customers. So they put me onto this thing. And I called them up and we did the last chat with it and it was awesome. Now I don't know if we'll use them two weeks from now or not, but my point I'm making is what we're talking about here. If you're selling any product, you, it's gotta work for who your users are. And so that was something great and they didn't pay us, I didn't care, it was strictly function. It just made our job a lot easier to do because what we wanna do is just communicate with our fans about this new record and get them vibed up to see the band. That's all, nothing more high tech than that. Let me ask you guys a question specific to that experience in music and tech a lot of the times we're approached um by being first is very important it can be and have you ever has that ever been part of your business model in terms of launching an artist where you know at the barry presents everyone under the sun it just seems to pile up hey we should put we can help you sell more tickets we can reach your audience we can you know all those things but how do we discern what best practices are and what's the importance of being first to the table with a, with a Google Chrome with um, you know what's the impact of that um, well I, I, I have been fortunate enough to be involved with the Dave Matthews band from the very beginning and I think that um, we've been able to based on our leverage we've been able to kind of throw our weight around and do some things that were first um, broadcasting the first live concert on Hulu was something we did um, we debuted the record on Pandora, which was a first, where we pushed out a song to everybody who's ever thumbed up Dave. And what we find is when we're first is usually where we should have been all along, because that's where our audience is. And the one thing that's important in the shift of this business is that the boss to all of us is the customer, right? It, that is who the bands are listening to, and that is who has a louder voice than ever before. And if you go where your customers are, you will have success. So you can be first and come up with something really great and really smart 
uh, and everybody in this room high fives you, but nobody out there really gives a shit. Or you can do something like Radiohead had did and make everybody go, why didn't I think of that? Can can your audience though begin to disrupt that commu- your own audience? Can they undo you as well? Uh, yes, but I think um, th- they certainly can. I mean, you know, all of us have been in a position where the audience had such a loud voice that you were trying to put fires out to keep them quiet. Um, they can certainly disrupt. But if you engage your audience and you let them improve what you're doing and let them become part of it, I think that you'll find that you'll whatever you do first will be that much better of an experience. And if you engage them and you screw up a little bit, they're willing to forgive you, like the guy who emailed um, Steve and said, this sucked and you should have tried this. First, first, from a tech perspective, is good if you are malleable, if you are unique, uh, if you're newsworthy. Uh, and that's about where it stops. Uh, first is bad if even sometimes with those criteria simply because then everyone can see what works and what doesn't and essentially now build a superior product. I mean, that this, I think, goes very much to Dave's quote about you know similar, 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 where someone debuts something first and it gets a little bit of traction, and unless it is just so unique and newsworthy and catches fire and is malleable in the sense that can be adapted very nimble and nimbly and quickly to always stay ahead of the competition. Once you lose that momentum you had, you're essentially another one in the pack and quite often at a significant detriment in that all the marketing, all the research, all the awareness, all the user base uh, benefits all the other people coming after you. And that, that's a significant challenge that, I mean, tech developers have faced since the beginning of time, really. Yeah, but um, I mean, that's all good points. I mean, great points. but. Um, the technologists in the room must understand agile and how, you know, I talk to my brand customers um, because ultimately I work for their customers, right? But I just launched a website re- recently. We in, uh, mainly uh, what I call a mo- mobile first philosophy. It's for a beer company and everyone likes beer and guess where they are when they're drinking beer and they're not sitting at home. Well, unless they are lonely and alcoholic, but you know, usually you're in a bar with your friends. Um, but what we're doing, you know, like with an agile strategy ultimately is test and analyze. And, and again, we can do it. You know, it's like, you don't need to be the pioneer and crash and burn and then somebody comes running over your back because that, that was a great idea, I tweaked it, we win. Uh, in, in technology, uh, we always test and analyze everything we do. Software will have a bug. Uh, or my mobile uh, website right now, I, I'm trying to track how users are using it, seeing what they're doing, and we'll update it. You know, we'll, we'll get to version 1.0, 1.1, et cetera, et cetera. That's normal in technology. So I don't think there's too much danger in trying things out, but it can't be the whiz-bang, everybody does a Google Chrome Arcade Fire event for $5 million, because that, that's been done now. So, it, you know. And isn't it true that some of the biggest success stories in the technology world were not the first guys to the party? Exactly. You know, I, did anybody here watch the military channel on all this me? <laughs> you know, the analogy I Why would I do that? I'll tell you why, because everybody, it, particularly in the tech world, got so fell in love with this first mover advantage. And I always think about it when I'm oh, watching yeah, yeah, the replay yeah. of D Day Invasion, thinking, you know. First mover, I think those are the guys were floating in the water. I wanted to be at the 4 o'clock shift coming in. In fact, if I could have booked June 9th, it would have been fucking great, okay? Just, just a thought. Uh, but, uh, but here's again back to this whole thing about technology and the gee whiz versus, wow, dude, you're helping me, right? And about first, 
I might get this guy fired, but the thing that I love the most about the internet, for good and bad, is that you can talk to your customers. So if you're yeah, hurt, yeah. hopeless, insecure, wrecked, maybe you don't do that. But if you're actually looking to do things better, it can make a big difference. And so I'm sitting here talking with an exec about Latin America where we sell tons of tickets, don't be able to, can't seem to sell a record, everything seems to be tough. So I'm talking to this guy and I'm telling about how I got this conversation literally going on with our customers in South America. And I said, if you were looking to be dangerous, you join me in the morning one day and get on here face to face with these customers and ask them about what it is they're interested in South America. So uh, lo and behold, the, the head of Sony Latin America is probably going to lose his job over this for actually talking to his customers. You know, is going to get on the line with me, with the kids, popping in. They can ask him. They can be part of the whole show. And we're going to talk to our customers. And his question was, are they going to be rough with me? And I said, no, because they like me. They don't know if they like you yet, but I'm going to cover you. But the point is you can talk to them, right? So for me, it's not about whiz-bang. It's about, dude, we can talk to these people, and we can always do what we did at the labels, freaking ignore them. But how about we figure it out because this ignoring them is not working. It's just not working. I, I, I think one of the... That's a great point. I think one of the things to uh, to put to you guys is, as artists and as artist managers and, and a label is in, in terms of revenue streams that are brought about by strategic partnerships, when, when does the value of a partnership outweigh the revenue that you're going to bring in to where you would actually commit to something? So, you know, in terms of being a nascent band or an emergent artist, you need to put, as, put them in front of as many people as you can um, of a very specific demographic, hopefully part of the strategy, not the mm -hmm. tactic. So, mm -hmm. can you speak to you know maybe ever foregoing um, the monetary value of a, of a strategic partnership in favor of something that actually had a longer tail? Um, well, I, I'll be very brief here. I mean, Gang of Four, we wouldn't touch any dollars ever, 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 ever. You know, that was you know uh, being a post-punk band in 1979. It's like. If I took Levi's money, I think at one time we were offered Levi's dollars and, you know, TV ad. And it was obviously, well, interesting. But we wouldn't, we, we didn't do it for many different reasons. And I think as we were saying in the green room earlier now, about a decade ago, it just seems to be, well, you're stupid for not taking the money, right? And then we get back together, 2004, 2008, have some great touring. And the money starts flowing from, uh, actually brilliantly, Sofia Coppola, um, with a title track in Marie Antoinette. That's a phenomenal amount of money when it goes global, as you guys know, who do these deals. I was just looking at dollar signs. It's like, awesome. Because yeah, my band doesn't need any help whatsoever. We, we can do whatever we want, whenever we want, so keep giving me money. And I, we had a laugh about Microsoft comes along with the Xbox Connect campaign and say, hey, we want damaged goods from Gang 4. Like, awesome. You guys have got a lot of money. Really double plus awesome. Because <laughs> right. I don't have to worry about what people think. But I did consider it because it's Microsoft, you know. Um, I was like, how far can we go? Sophia Coppola, cool, right? Movie, cool. Microsoft, hmm. But um, I realized something. It's like the curse of knowledge thing. So the we destroyed you know, it turned that market upside down. It was a disruptive move to get away from controllers and sitting there doing this. Now you can do all this, right? And it meant that 
different people would now get into gaming that never got into it before. But more than anything, there's a reach there with young people that may discover Gang of Four for the first time ever, right? And the ad worked supremely well. And I was like, oh, great, and I get paid. So, but I will, I will say, as I think I said earlier, you know, all of our licensing money came in the last sort of four years. The previous 26 years, I just remained, you know, reasonably penniless. If I can say that. <laughs> is, is that what it's all about, though? Yeah, in terms it, of I, w I wasn't totally poor. <laughs> in in but terms those of four years, I made you more wish money you were in four years. You were younger, and, Dave? And I, I was, if I'd been this smart when I was younger, I would own you. you just, <laughs> <laughs> you'd be living next door to hey, Paul Steve, McCartney. Steve, it sounds like you just needed a good manager. <laughs> you know what, uh, Dave? I would have had a little pep talk. I, I would agree sure. with that, guys. Yeah, we, we, we didn't have the best management. <laughs> I'm now going to be sued. I'm going to manage you. I, I'm well, going to I'm going to manage you as a speaker from now on. I'm be very impressed. Actually, Before we sue you, let's take questions from the audience here. We're at 50. Is there a microphone for the uh Yeah. Okay, hold on one second. Right. Um, sound, and we don't have to repeat yeah. your questions. <laughs> We're going to give you a microphone. Thank you. So, Bruce, I'd like to kind of jump back to where we started because you're in an interesting spot. Um, as a technologist, I'm very interested to hear you have relationships with both brands and with the content producers with the bands. When you sit down with the brands, when they come to talk to Greenlight, what is it that they're looking to produce? What are the top two or three things that they're requesting from you that they can't get in other kinds of relationships? Honestly, they don't know. And that's why the company exists. They literally come saying, we know we want to be in music, but we don't know how to do it. So fortunately, I've been able to create a company that uses our instincts to say, this is how you want to be in music, Hyundai. This is how you want to be in music, Gillette. And this is why it works for your brand. It takes us some bit of research. It takes some gut. And it also takes a lot of knowing the music tea leaves. Because everybody that calls you wants the Foo Fighters, right? Because Will I Am's already booked. So, um, <laughs> I love Will, but he is the NASCAR of the music business. Um, but, so you have to get them to understand, look, just going after the big band isn't always the right move. So we create programs um, that then figure out what the right move is. For Hyundai, it's electronic music. For Gillette, it was much more mainstream. But f the big answer to your question is, the brands don't know. And that goes back to my point is as they call all of you and wanting to throw their ad dollars on your mm. widgets, if you send them down a path that isn't delivering for them, they are going to leave you, you, and me. And I can't afford that. that that's yeah. a great point. Yeah, and also uh, it's interesting um, because uh, in my, my day job, um, as a digital strategist, and I talk to brands, they don't even know what their web sh website should be about at all, except it, it, they want one. So, you know, there's, there's so many questions that come up all the time, but what you really understand quickly is the brands don't know what they want. Um, and they have creative people in them too, so it's not just in content and, uh, and um, using musicians. It, it can be the same in what is your new website, uh, what's it going to be about? And my job is to find out the brand expression and then deliver a great website that may include videos from these guys' bands, you know. So it's a, it's a muddle, basically. And this is a, a significant value that almost any company in any of these positions can, can, where we can create value. Anyone that's close to content, to performers, to creatives. Because from, from a record label perspective, a lot of labels are 
uh, so, you know, Concord and me being, you know, a, a person of this team are creating departments where this is a lot of what we do is figure out based on our expertise, you know, we have to assume there's some level of expertise uh, on the tech side or on the, the music curation side, or simply understanding how to bridge a company that knows they want music but has no real understanding of how to use music to deliver value to their customers. And that's where everything from branding agencies to managers to labels essentially all have some skills they can contribute. And, and we're finding you know, companies of all stripes, uh, at least those that are a little forward-looking, are, are leveraging that knowledge. And, and that is the a, a basis of a lot of the brand partnerships that, that Concord does, and certainly I imagine everyone at this table. Absolutely. Hey, Next question. I, I got one for you over here, Jason. We got one here. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Dave Allen, it is an honor and a privilege to even see you in our industry. That's fantastic. I'm the biggest Gang of Four fan. I, I'm uh, which industry? I'm trying, uh, to, I'm trying to get out of one all of them. All of them, right? <laughs> um, I have a, for, oh, first of all, the irony of seeing Gang of Four on those Microsoft ads was just way out the roof, right? Amazing, fantastic art. But I have a question. Like, your album, Entertainment, was missing from America for... 11 years of my youth until Henry Rollins put it out. Yeah, and Infinite Zero. Yeah, and, and I'm wondering if you could speak about that as like kind of like an example of the bad old world. Um, I'm not sure what happened. I, I, well, I had to tape your songs off the radio to get yeah, your songs. He bought the T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, no well, it's slightly off topic for the panel, but very quickly. Uh, it, it's just very typical of, and probably bad management too, by the way, but... Once the band kind of went off uh, in the mid-80s doing all the different things, I started a record label, you know, then I got into helping start eMusic.com, and you, you just drop the ball on things. Um, and then suddenly you're, you're finding out, thank you, social media, like, hey, I can't find your album anymore. And it took right up until uh, after Infinite Zero. That was a bit of a mess, actually. Um, Henry did a great job with Rick Rubin in, in finding classic albums and putting them out. But um, there was some issue about whether it should have been licensed in the first place, and then that all started unraveling. And then uh, Warner Brothers just didn't do anything with it and let it just drop off the shelves. So now, I think what brings this up to date for what we're trying to talk about on the panel here is like, you know, there's an example of something that people consider amazing content and it just isn't even available for sale. And yet, going back to the business cliche thing I was talking about, is like, all I hear is like, downloading's killing music. It's like, well, not having it on the shelves doesn't help, you know. Um, so anyway, that's that story. And thank you very much. I appreciate that. For what it's worth, I won a a test pressing of entertainment on eBay about five years ago. And it <laughs> well, you better give it back to me. Yeah, come, come <laughs> and try to take it. Actually, he wants you to autograph it. He's going to sell it back to yeah, him. You're going to put no. it back up there. It's I one of my <laughs> treasured pieces of vinyl. I'm going to buy you. my own test pressings now. <laughs> Didn't Paul McCartney have to buy his own songs? No, Michael Jackson did. Ah. Hi, I just uh, read some research from Nielsen about how young people consume music. It was a really interesting study right. they did. And... Um, a high percentage of them said that they watch music regularly. And so I'm just wondering from your perspective what that means and what that might mean on a big video YouTube. screen. My in a couple kids do it every night. Yeah. They no, sit, I, they, they, I was telling somebody, my kids, they don't even listen on speakers anymore, Dave. They sit there on their shitty little speakers and yeah. cranked up to the max so it sounds ungodly awful, right? And I go, why don't you put your headphones on? Dad, why don't you go to your office? You know, it's just, <laughs> you know, it's unbelievable. But it's a, they don't care. This comes back to what I was 
there was a good there's a good meeting this afternoon in one of the smaller rooms uh, with Dave from Eight Track was talking about his app and um, um, I was a little outspoken about some of this but it, it it keeps coming back all the time it's like before you develop anything in technology particularly and especially when I'm working with brands customers you know the the, the clients I I work with uh, from the advertising side is we've got to ask what problem does it solve. And, and it, so that's why I'm coming back to this with the technology and, and music. You know, that's what this conference is all about, this blend here. So if you're going to deliver me an app and it's music-based, you have to tell me what problem it solves. So here's something heretic I said in the meeting. Why does Pandora even exist? And you could have heard a pin drop, and then people started crying, and you know, it's just like, oh my god. <laughs> um, but th my point is, uh, very simple point is, I didn't see a problem, and somebody said, well, radio was a problem. And I said, well, that's not good enough, because radio is huge and big, and people listen to it still, so it wasn't a problem. And... I have nothing against Pandora, except when I put in my band and listen, uh, it turns into a pile of shit. But, you know, it's like, y you never get it right. So we're looking at influencers and filters, and you're looking at content holders and people who get in front of music, uh, uh, music fans. Music fans, music fans. We haven't talked enough about music fans in, at this conference this time. But um, my point is, yes, they watch music, they watch YouTube. Because pretty much everything is up there, right? And they can skip around. You can make your playlist in YouTube now. You can do Watch Later. It's, it's mobile. It's a great app. You know, that works. Um, so if you uh, make a music app, uh, are you going to think about making a music app? In fact, if you're even thinking about making an app, let's forget music, you've got to ask yourself, what problem does this solve? And here's the big example iPad apps and the media publishing companies, Steve Jobs sold them down the river. It's like, oh my God, I'm going to save the newspaper industry. I hate all media apps. I hate them because they make me relearn how to read a damn magazine. And it's like, some of them come with instructions. And anybody who works in tech must understand, if you have to be told how to use something, it's broken and it will not be repaired and I will get rid of it, even if I paid $5.99 for it.